Oh, baby, it's Tuesday night. That means there can only be one place for you and your eyeballs on your timeline. It's right here. This is the Full Tilt Podcast Network, uh, powered by the Fantasy Points Media Group. We are also presenting the underdog fantasy brand of the year. I'm calling it now. doesn't matter what your opinions are. That's what I'm saying, and I believe it. Look, this is a special episode. This is episode 210. There is a ton of news about running backs, and we're going to hit it all today. Of course, joining me, as always, is my co-host with the most, uh, Jacob Sanderson. And, of course, special day today, we have running back connoisseur himself, Mr. Graham Barfield uh, from Fantasy Points. Uh, Graham, we appreciate you joining us today. We don't like to do big intros and things like that. It's it's a little drawn out. But for someone watching that may not know what your cup of tea is, could you please indulge them on what you do best? Sure. Yeah, this is uh, a little bit of bittersweet season for me, but I have uh, <laughs> taken a year off from doing eight years of yards created. If anybody uh, isn't familiar, that was uh, – my charting process for rookie running backs, uh, basically just not really separating offensive line play from running back play, but just trying to better understand uh, running back play and offensive line play and how it all works together. Unfortunately, uh, I just have like way too much on my plate, just life stuff, work stuff, uh, focusing more on fantasy content this year. So no rookie running back talk, but obviously there's been a ton of running back news recently. And I am definitely still a connoisseur. I've definitely still watched uh, top five or six guys. Got to put the film on, like always. Yeah, I'm familiar <laughs> with the class. I'm, not, I'm not, definitely not done my normal 250 to 300 hour deep dive, but <laughs> oh, uh, fun running back class. Really fun running back class. And this has been an awesome uh, period for free agent running backs. A lot of good movement, a lot of good team fits. Love the David Montgomery fit. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you boys about some backs in the wow. dynasty oh. landscape. I, I just recently uh, updated my dynasty ranks like two weeks, uh, two nights nice. ago. And um, nice. yeah, r- running back is hard to rank after 20, but it's, it's a fun time. Yeah. I, I remember doing, I had have not updated my tiers since post free agency. I I'm waiting on just to see if there's a couple other signings or cuts or something that happens this week. But I remember even doing it before and I have like these tiers that were like 20 guys wide. And then I would look at the next year. I'm like, is that really that different than the previous one? It's tough, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. I mean, I think, Something I tweeted about last night that I think applies like especially to best ball and seasonal, but really to dynasty too. Like there's everybody knows, obviously there's just way less workhorses in terms of how teams are valuing it. Teams are paying running backs less, drafting them less highly. So they feel less indebted to like show the insulated value of that. And then you also just have, frankly, this is about as talented I think as the running back position has been in a very long time. You have this legendary 2017 running back class that are kind of making their last stand. Um, still holding on a lot of them still in their late primes or at least still viable you have this new deep running back class coming in and you have all of these really strong free agent running backs that just found new landing spots and you have so many teams that are going to be going in some form of committee and I think like trying to figure out not just which running backs you like better but like really looking at team fits so like how can I layer in guys who are going to be able to stream and sit in an RB2 chair and have like a viable standalone role week to week with other guys who may be less easy to project their volume, but have that strong contingent upside because of whatever skill sets they bring to the table, like trying to layer in those running back rooms, I think is going to be fun this summer when we're going through teams and like trying to almost think of a lot of these running backs that are so hard to rank from an archetype perspective beyond just from a straight like preference perspective. Uh, Cause there's going to be so many different committees and each committee is going to work kind of differently in terms of how they're going to allocate their touches. And it's going to be fascinating to try and figure out frankly, how many of them are going to do what and how just with so many new look running back rooms around the league. So one, one thing that you and I talked about leading up to a show like this was that the quarterback landscape was actually the worst. I think now that my mind has shifted that the running back landscape is worse. I was in the going for two.com discord and somebody asked the question, like who's the biggest winner and loser from this off season. And I put any fantasy manager having hopes that that running back that they're holding on to is going to gain value. Uh, you lost just for hoping because all the shifting and we're all still going eh, after, you know, round five, even, um, Graham, I'm going to ask you, I don't know how many drafts 
you've been in on so far, whether it be startup and how much you're checking into, you've been doing fantasy football for quite a while. Have you noticed kind of a shift in the dynasty community specifically where people are more willing to buy in on running backs than I've personally seen before? I feel like the first five rounds, we're getting 13, 14 running backs going. And before, to me, it was you get like six. So I'd be interested to hear your take on the landscape shifting back to the top end heavy for running backs. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this is my, I think this is my eighth or ninth year playing Dynasty, probably 15th, 16th year playing Fantasy. And you're right. This is, this Damn. is unlike any market I've seen for running backs. Um, I think some of it is scarcity. There's just like, I was just saying at the top, there's like 20 to feel good about. And then uh, it just like kind of just turns into a big, long, flat tier. Um, and you're right. I mean, you're putting guys in tier four and five. It's like, eh, it's not that, not that different. I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, there's also been a pretty solid influx of young talent. Uh, the flip side is like, this is the, it has never been easier to draft a good running back group in best ball. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have messed around on underdog at all. And like some of their early little, uh, little yeah. or big board drafts, but like just a bit. Yeah. Oh my God, man. It has never been easier to, to have like five yeah. or six backs by the 14th, 15th round that you're like, damn, I, I feel good. And like, I, maybe I don't only, I only need one more. Um, the, the dead zone is not a thing this year. It's just not going to happen. And I think these, some of these rookie running backs like Jameer Gibbs, um, I think Jameer Gibbs is one guy that's going to massively increase in value. Um, I think a few of these guys could, uh, Roshan Johnson being another one, but like this, this is a really deep running back class. Um, I think there's, there's an archetype for everything. Any type of player you want in this class after Bijan is in it. Um, and I, I think, the the day day late day two to day three range is going to be a lot of fun this year, but I yeah. I've just got to say I mean I've been working on best ball ranks the last two days I've ne- I cannot remember a time sitting here on March twenty first where I've felt better about a group of running backs than this year for best ball mm-hmm. but for dynasty mm-hmm. you're absolutely yeah. right it's a shit show like it is it is difficult but, and those those things like, work like I think those things are related right it's like because you're getting all these older guys that are falling more in best ball and it's like you vulnerable those guys in dynasty don't feel great you get all these running backs like I don't I mean how many we had a really really good like crop of normally there's like one guy it feels like that's like the late round hit running back that we're like is he gonna get replaced in the draft is he gonna get replaced in free agency like it's usually like one dude or maybe two this year it feels like there's like a half dozen of them. Um, yeah. And then even you go beyond like, cause there's Rashad white and there's Damian Pierce and there's Tyler Algier and there's Isaiah Pacheco who are all kind of in that Ramond- spot. And then Ramondre I know Stevenson. Leo Herbert and Ramondre are not rookies, but yeah, they're, they're like, you're two guys, but it's kind of a similar vein. Like there's all these kind of guys that we like, and it's like, they're probably still going to have a role. And so there's ambiguity. So these guys are slipping. And I think it's just, you mentioned about the dead zone, like any of these things, in terms of ADP trends, like I think I made the comparison before on Twitter. I don't know if either of you guys watch Westworld, but um, like in Westworld, the bicameral mind where it's like, you know, there's like a voice of the gods and you hear something and then you like start to do things. But it's like, are you just doing the things the voice in the head told you or are you making your own decisions and where does that line stop? And like, that's how I sort of think of some of these ADP trend analysis. It's like, at what point, like if everybody just kept doing things without any knowledge of the ADP trends, then these right. ADP trends might hold forever or they might not. The game changes yeah. too, but they might hold forever, at least for longer. But then it's like once people start reacting to a trend and then they start changing the very behavior that kicked off that trend in the first place, it's like how, you know, it's like a, a dog like trying to chase after its own tail, right? It's just so hard yeah. where it's like if you're told like, you know, don't draft running backs between round three and six. Well, what's going to happen is like, now the running back that you used to draft in round four is now in round seven. And then people are going to be like, you have to draft running backs in round seven. And then like, then people will draft running backs that should have been around nine and around seven. Like it just becomes yeah. constantly untenable. So uh, I think that those things have such a short run where as soon as one of those trends becomes really, really correct, you probably have one to two years until it becomes actionably bad. Yeah. And I think we're at that point. It's actionably bad. And I, I always say every season when, when you're doing best ball, is like a snowflake. It's a little different. And I start with like a top-down approach of like, where's 
the position what what positions are the deepest in the last couple of years it's always been a receiver especially an underdog uh where you mm-hmm. you have to start more of them um but this year top down it's like man 45 50 running backs in you're, you're still feeling pretty good about the four you can get and the usable weeks you can get and then you can sell yourself on a ceiling too um mm-hmm. you know I, I think you know I, i'm old enough to remember in 2015 where everybody went running back heavy all the running backs died and then in 2016 mm-hmm. everybody went zero running back and that was the year to go running back heavy you know it, it's right. it's it's one of those things where i think we're always chasing our own tail in fantasy but you know, if you treat every year like it's a little different, and this year I think is very different given the running back landscape, um, I think you're going to set up yourself for more success. But for Dynasty, man, like I'm legit throwing my hands up after RB20. Like, I well, and really, I think I don't know where to go at this point. I think Jacob kind of sold me on the idea of like buying guys like Josh Jacobs at like perceived high prices because we kind of know what they are right now. And because outside of that, it is kind of scary. We have a question. Lucas is asking. Uh, I have to cover you, Jacob, so hold on a second. Uh, is it more to do with the lack of elite top-end options or elite options beginning to age out? Remember, okay. there's that super sick and awesome draft class that is now kind of starting to have the wheels fall off. I so I think that's a I think it's two things specifically. I think it's the 2017 running back class, which was freaking awesome, is on their last legs to the point where – they're either like dust dust like Lenny um, or teams have to start making plans for their future. Uh, you know, like the Bengals and the Vikings, whatever. Um, and the next really great running back class should have been 2020 and they all died. Right. That's yeah. like, that. that's the big, that's the other big issue is like, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, like was he overdrafted? Sure. Did I, did we think he would be actively terrible? That's surprising. <laughs> um, like, DeAndre Swift has not really been like he's a useful player, but he's not been whatever his ceiling case was. Dobbins yep. has battled injuries. Akers has battled injuries. Gibson has been okay, kind of sidelined. Like the only guy from that class that at one point in time looked like it might have six, seven dudes is like Taylor. And then we have oh, other yeah. guys that might be, you know, certainly parts of backfields, but not that is the backfield, um, or right. at least it's question so i think that those two factors is just meant that we have like a ton of solid backs but not necessarily a ton of this is my backfield this is my 80 percent opportunity share you know yeah. fetch me a gatorade yeah absolutely uh we have one, one uh scamper says that costner was great in uh in water world um kev hopefully the three-year cycle of an elite class will happen here in 2023 we definitely need it uh, we definitely need an influx of that. And again, we just need them all to not die. Uh, They're taking care of the death in their third year in college instead. That's the difference. Yeah, right? exactly. The 2020 backs <laughs> waited until like year two in the NFL to die. Whereas uh, Evans and Tank and Tucker were like, we'll speed this up. <laughs> yeah. We'll just bomb the pre-draft process instead. We'll yeah. go in round five. Man, Sean yeah. Tucker's that's a whole kind of different. Shout out. You were you were one of my big hopefuls there, Sean, and and now we'll see you in the sixth round, buddy. Uh, we're gonna take a quick second. When we come back. We're gonna start getting into some of these backfields that got affected by free agency. Some Swift and Montgomery, some Herbert and Foreman, a little bit of Miles Sanders and Damian Harris. You never know uh, what we're quite gonna throw at you, but we are gonna take a quick second, uh, Jacob. This is an eight-second break, uh, so <laughs> sit tight, everyone, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, we're all hands on go here with the with the dynasty running back landscape shift. Uh, Jacob, you briefly mentioned Montgomery and Swift now, uh, yeah. so I'm assuming we're going to start there because you brought up each one, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna say this now before you start going in on Swift. Sure. When it comes to the full tilt team, I was the long standing Swift doubter, and and but you flipped, actually, man. You flipped. I did. You flipped. I was I was gonna say it. I pulled a Jacob passing in the night. I pulled a Jacob. I put on my flip flops and I definitely (laughs) flip flop my way out the door. Now uh, (laughs) I would love to hear your take on DeAndre Swift versus Montgomery. Who you prefer and why, and where you think their ADP is gonna go. Let's really hammer this dynasty outlook for Swift and Montgomery. 
Yeah, well, right now, at least, their ADPs are very far apart. I expect them to converge because it's still been pretty fresh. But right now, we had Swift as a round five asset. Montgomery was going, uh, I want to say round nine, but that I, I could be off by a round or two. Uh, and best ball, Swift still goes right now as the RB19. Montgomery is the RB27, a couple rounds behind. Um, my take on this, like, I'll... I always preface with my stance on Swift long-term because it definitely has changed. I love Swift as a prospect and I will continue to bet on prospects like Swift time and again. Like I actually had a question in the discord today about if you don't like Swift, why do you like Jameer Gibbs? And my question is, especially from like a game of dynasty perspective, we want to be betting on the running backs who have high pass catching ceilings. And the market is usually pretty optimistic about running backs after their first or second year, adding whatever they haven't added immediately. Right. Uh, and so I want to be taking those shots, taking that look, and then making a call. And I think with Swift, the like ships passing the night moment for us came in 2021 when he got the role that people still complain on Twitter about how like he's hated and he's never gotten a chance and like people are conspiring against him. It's like he actually got a ton of opportunities in 2021. They basically said, here's your backfield. He got the majority of the carries. He got all of the receiving work. And he was a, an okay receiver. Uh, I mean, tons of volume, but he was like graded out quite poorly at a sub 60 PFF receiving grade, uh, was not particularly efficient after the first half of the year in the receiving. And he was horrible uh, as a rusher. Um, and then he comes in 2022 and his rushing results look a lot better on paper. Right. And I think that's when then people reinvoke this. Why don't they give more opportunities? And look, I am the guy on Twitter constantly that is willing to say, I think this coach is misusing this player when I think it's true. I don't think that DeAndre Swift is your martyr. I think this is a guy <laughs> who got the opportunity to do everything. The coaching staff said, you're really good at some stuff and you're detrimental at other things. And so we're going to have you do the things that you're good at and you're not going to do the things that you're bad at. And to me, that's good coaching. He had minus three points or minus 0.36 rush yards over expectation in that season. More concerning in 2021, more concerningly, he was 29.8% percentage of rushes over expectation. That's a success rate adjacent metric. That was second to last in the entire NFL. That is like 10% below the average mark. Um, 10 really percentage bad. points below the average mark. Really, really poor. When you look at this year, like his great, his overall aggregate grade, his rushing grades from PFF go way up. His rush yards over expectation per attempt go way up. What's still really, really low? percentage of rushes over expectation still fourth to last he's still not producing consistently on a play-to-play -play basis and when you look at how he's getting his touches he's getting way more shotgun touches he's getting way more tendency breaker touches they're using him more in space that's why a lot of his overall marks look good but you still see the same issues where he's not being able to do it consistently i think if he got all the touches he got in 2021 you would have had a much more similar line across the board to what he had in 2021 and so what do they do they get old reliable David Montgomery, who has been more or less the same guy every year. He's going to provide roughly league average play in every aspect of the game. And like, I don't want to use that to knock him. I think that the ability to have the same running back on the field in every situation and to have viable running back play in all of those situations has actual value for an NFL team. It means you're not tipping your play to the defense because you can put Montgomery out in any formation. It means that whatever your blocking is able to do, whatever your scheme is able to do, it's going to be executed. You know, is he going to be adding a ton? Is he going to be breaking off 80-yard touchdowns? Probably not. But I think for a team like the Lions that has a good scheme, that has a good offensive line, that they're going to see value in being able to see their scheme executed consistently. So to me, I think both these guys, like in a median scenario, project somewhat similarly. But if you were to ask me, we're in week seven, neither of them is injured. One of them has a 75% opportunity share and is a mid-range RB1. I would actually say it's David Montgomery. Yeah. That's interesting, especially for how much crap uh, we've been giving Montgomery over the last couple of years. Uh, but he seems to always win you leagues down the stretch, at least up until last year. Pretty pretty interesting. So, Graham, I, I present the question to you. And, guys, in the chat, we will get to your questions. I don't want to cover up Jacob's face while he's talking. Uh, so I'm not ignoring you. I see your comments. I'm going to post them uh, very hard to, you know, do the clippy stuff that I need to do afterwards. Okay. So I see you. I love you. Keep it up. We'll get to it. Graham, I just want to ask uh, between David Montgomery, I look at him getting a, a 
three-year contract that looks like a legitimate three-year contract, Swift being on the last of his, is it pretty much it, he's done now? He's written in stone? Like, are we looking at a potential expensive James White moving forward? I, I won't say he's done. I won't go that far. I will say we we I think it's pretty clear we know where this line staff stands on DeAndre Swift, right? I mean, I think not only did, did Jacob lay it all out, like you watch DeAndre Swift on a play-to-play basis, his his vision has gotten worse. Like I loved Swift as a prospect coming out. I thought he was right there at the top of that class. But every year you ask yourself, like, what isn't happening? And I think on a play-to-play basis, he's just he's not a consistent player because he's not seeing the field clearly. Now, whether that's coaching, whether that's him not doing something on his own, I don't know. I can't answer that. We're not there. But when you see the physical talent on some of the big plays that he makes and he still creates these big spike games, you're like, yeah, why isn't he getting the ball more? But then you actually watch him play. And, I mean, really, at this point, as a runner, he's basically somebody you're designing plays for. He's like a point-and-shoot kind of player. He's not somebody who's going to go out and create on his own, which is David Montgomery. David Montgomery every single year is in like top five of missile uh, missed tackles force per per attempt. This past year he was tied for the league lead in missed tackles force per attempt among uh, qualified running backs, and he's always been behind a bad offensive line. I mean the Bears have been bottom you know bottom ten, bottom twelve in yards before contact on running back carries for back to back years, and you know the Lions have been top ten, top twelve. Last year they were seventh best. So big offensive line upgrade. I'm right there with you, Jacob. I think that you can make a case for Montgomery is like a very, very high-end RB2. And sure, let's say the Lions staff is just like almost done with Swift and he's relegated to like, uh, you know, basically just a rotational player. And then, you know, he gets some third down work like Montgomery on a 70% snap share with this offense, how good it was last year. Like, sign me up. He's a slight upgrade on Jamal Williams as a runner. You know, I think Jamal Williams has been fine, but nothing more than replacement level. He's certainly never been a guy that makes a, a bunch of missed tackles or forces a bunch of missed tackles, I should say. Um, and then I, I like Montgomery quite a bit. And I think he's a really strong, if there's one running back in this inflated dynasty market, that's a good buy still. I think it's Montgomery because of yeah. all the reasons we just outlined. Okay. Let me yeah. Ask- I want to, I want to acquire him hard. Like I, I think I, I just, last year, the running back rotation was so weird, man. Like I remember while I was watching the Lions game so closely, cause I was trying to figure out like, what are they doing? Like, when is Justin Jackson playing? Why is Justin Jackson? No playing? Like, how are they using Swift? Like what's the, and like what it seemed like to me at least was they were like, there's two elements of the game where we want reliability. Right. And that's like early down rushing and then like pass downs outlet pass protection. And they were like Jamal Williams. I don't really know why they think Jamal Williams can't, catch passes or pass block because he was totally fine at that at green bay maybe can't do it anymore i don't know but they did not want him in that role so they like split that role up between jackson and williams and then they were like we're going to use swift basically when we need explosion and it was just so forced like his targets per route run was so absurd it's like every time he comes on the field it was like it's going to be one of three things right they're going to run him off tackle or they're going to do an angle route or they're going to do a wheel route or like a screen like it was just very forced for him and I think that with Jamison Williams, like I get it under last year's Lions offense, why they would look at their team and be like, Chark is pretty dusty. Uh, Josh Reynolds is Josh Reynolds. Uh, Khalif Raymond's Khalif Raymond. Amon Ross St. Brown's awesome, but he's a slot wide receiver who's not threatening anybody vertically. Like we need somebody in this offense who can create big plays. And that's probably DeAndre Swift. I just think this year, like what if they just look at their receiving weapons? They're like, we have Brown. We have Jameson Williams. Like, we have our explosive players playing receiver. What we need from our running back is, like, we don't need to go through heaven and earth to try and find ways to get our running back in space when we can just throw to our wide receivers in space and then use yep. the running backs the way that normal teams use running back. So let me let me ask you this then. Uh, for, well, first, before I ask the question, I'm going to get through uh, some of these questions that we have here. Again, I can't cover up Jacob, everybody, so let's just... Uh, we have uh, main event. Uh, does the committee approach on how RBs are now paid worry us about the position this year and the long term? I'll send that off Wor- to Rich. Worry in the sense of like, is it going to be harder pro- to project players for fantasy? Like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mm. I think this is the way everything's kind of been trending. Um, you know, I, I, one guy that could get, I won't say blown up during the draft but could significantly have a value decrease is Tony Pollard. I don't think they're going to draft B. John Robinson, but we know they're probably going to draft somebody, right? Like whether it's the seventh round or the second round, like um, 
you know, there's just very few ironclad backs right now. Very few. And okay. the ones that are like, I, I mean, for dynasty, I mean, Christian McCaffrey could hit the cliff this year. Saquon Barkley is oh, a year or two away from the cliff. You know, him. like, don't do that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I mean, this, this, this could get real ugly, real fast. If it happens, I'm see. the Paul, I am the Paul coming so at you in the DMs. From a value perspective, because like in Dynasty, I don't really care. Because like in Dynasty, I'm not worried about closing line value. Like I'm, yeah. I think unless if they draft Bijan, that's different. That's if they draft Bijan, that's a totally different case. I don't think that's gonna happen. If they draft like whoever else in the mid rounds, like I don't personally think that that's a good reason to fade him. So I don't really care in Dynasty from that perspective. Like I'm not trying to like sell him and then get him back. And like that's just not how like real life works. But in best ball, for sure, like he was a way easier click to me when when Zeke is still there, because you're going to get somebody. I mean, with Pollard, it's like, what do we know about Pollard? We know he's been awesome every time he's touched the ball. We don't know what the point of diminishing returns is, right? Like, we think that there probably is one, because his career high in touches is 232. So we probably don't yeah. think he's going to get 300 carries and 80 catches. Like, but what's this, What's the point? Is it 250? Is it 300? Mm-hmm. Is it 275? Like, I, you know, we don't really know. It hasn't reached it yet, but we'll see. To me, like, that's... Like, to me, it doesn't really matter who they take on because, like, when, whoever they take on, it's like I think they no longer have this weird obligation to Zeke. They're going to let Pollard – they're going to give him some run to find out where that point is, and then they're going to have somebody who takes up the rest. Like, it's not an indictment on Tony Pollard that they don't want their other running backs to be yeah. Rojo and Malik Davis. But for sure, the market – like, for the same reasons that the market thinks that Bijan Robinson would be a good pick there, the market's going to – like, if they – they could sign Leonard Fournette tomorrow, and people are going to be like, what if he's the lead back, right? Like, that's – gonna happen yeah yeah so let me let me ask you guys this question then in in a minute or less for no reason it's not like i'm gonna clip it or something but in a minute or less would you be selling tony pollard at his current dynasty value let's say it's rb14 at 601 are you selling or buying tony pollard as rb14 right now in dynasty graham I hate to be this way and not give a take, but I think that's the right price. I mean, honestly, I really do. I, I, if, it's totally team dependent. I mean, absolutely. If you're, uh, if you're in a spot where you're, you finished fourth last year and you're right there on the cusp of contending and you feel like Pollard is like kind of a short and long-term answer for you at running back, I think it's team dependent and you're buying. Um, but um, yeah, if you are kind of on the downward trend, yeah, absolutely. Probably one of the better times to cash in because I do think there's a real chance they spend like, legitimate capital like a third round pick mm. on a back that could hurt pollard in the next one to two years tony pollard or a 24 first graham if i'm contending i'm i'm shipping that first okay fair i i keep trying i keep trying but he's too good at the game to to give me a <laughs> clicky one jacob buying or selling <laughs> tony pollard at his current price uh look <laughs> when uh if I had like a family and then I was like, all right, when are we going to go on a family vacation? And we decided like, we're dreaming of going to Italy. And then it's like <laughs> 10 years. I've worked hard. I retire. My like kids graduate from high school and we go to Italy. And then I get to the restaurant and they say, would you like a pizza? I'm not saying no. Like this is the moment that okay. I've been waiting for my entire life. Obviously I'm buying Tony Pollard. Um, so, but I, I think that his price is fair, right? And that's really all I'm looking for. Like, if, if I thought Tony Pollard's price was like egregiously hot, then yeah. that would cause me a state of emotional disarray. But for as long as I can rationally defend Tony Pollard's price, I will be buying Tony Pollard. And I think it's entirely rationally defensible. Okay, that's fair. That's as good as I'm going to get. I'll edit it the way I want it to. Don't worry. Uh, we have a couple of statements here. Uh, Kevin is saying, fantasy players do not understand object performance. It's like obviously the Cowboys and all the teams that added in free agency, we are adding more to their RB room, 100%. Toronto, Dave, don't know the inflection point unless it you push it. Am I right? I think we get that. And Flybladder says, I'm higher on Najee than most due to the scarcity of backs uh, yeah. that get high-end market share and the team's love for him. He also states that the 24 first all day uh, by the RB uh, back in September, but picks don't get hurt or lose their job in July. So interesting. I mean, your rates go up in September, so that's also something to note about 
running backs. So that was that was a little little bonus uh, NFC action with Tony Pollard. Sit tight. We're gonna come back, and when we do come back, it's Herbert versus Foreman. Uh, obviously, we know on this program, and listeners know my love for Mr. Foreman. Love that he got a job. Might not get to keep it. We'll we'll find out in a minute. Sit tight. Okay, so everybody's new favorite uh, cult leader, Khalil Herbert, potentially has a chance to be a real dynasty gem this season. Obviously, he kind of survived the uh, free agency period so far with the legend himself, uh, the originator of coming back from an Achilles tear in Donta Foreman, my first Bay in fantasy football. Um, Obviously, I don't think, Foreman really does too much damage to Herbert, but the draft might. Graham, where do you see the Bears' backfield potentially shaping out by the time it hits real prime dynasty startup season? Yeah, I, I kind of think they're going to give Khalil Herbert a legit shot here. Um, mm. I think every time he stepped on the field, uh, when he's been healthy, he's been awesome. If you look at some of his advanced metrics, Yards after contact, missed tackles forced. I mean, he's been right up there with the best. Obviously, super small sample size. We haven't really seen a ton of games where he's gotten like 15, 18 carries. But I think there's enough there to say, okay, you make him the 1A, you make Foreman the 1B. They're both kind of similar style of runners, just north-south guys. You run zone option with them with fields. And you've got a pretty good backfield. Um, I think the one, the one thing the Bears have to do is figure out this offensive line. And they have just given themselves a gold mine, so to speak, with their – awesome trade not only to get dj Moore. i mean the, the capital they got back for the first pick uh, was awesome I, I think they're going to hopefully use their their early capital they've gotten um even after the moronic claypool trade um hopefully they'll use that on, on, on offensive line and not on running backs because I, I think herbert and foreman are, are fine i think that's a fine duo you, you probably draft one more guy maybe late and um and go into it but i think herbert is is one guy um in both best ball and ADP right now that like you could easily sell yourself on his ADP doubling by the time it gets to September. Love this that. Like I'll ask nerd. Oh, I was just going to say, this is like the all nerd backfield, right? Like yes. this is like the, this is the perfect nerd backfield, both in terms of that they're investing $3.9 million in it and that they're getting all the fancy metrics, all the charts, just a bunch of green cells on your spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> You see from last year, Khalil Herbert, first in rush yards over expectation per attempt, fourth in rush yards over expectation percentage. Foreman was sixth and second, respectively. If you look at yards after contact per attempt, uh, according to PFF, among those with qualifying number of carries, only eight running backs over the last two years, over three yards per contact per attempt both years. Ramondre, Pollard, Derrick Henry, Chubb, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, and both the Bears running backs. So you're talking about two guys who are just generating a ton of value on their carries. And the only knocks on them are basically two things. One, we don't have proof that either of these guys can keep up that level of play over a full-on workhorse 300 carry season. That's fine. That's why they have both of them. And then two, neither of these guys are giving you a whole lot in the passing game. And that's mostly fine because, A, they're not really paying for it. B, they're probably not going to throw running backs that much. They don't throw that much. And Justin Fields is probably not very interested in checking it down to running backs when he's arguably the greatest rushing quarterback of all time. So if you want to find a way to create a plus value running game, like have a rushing quarterback, have two absolute monsters who are undervalued because they're more one-dimensional players – who haven't proven it over a ton of volume, and you're going to be able to run for a ton of yards. I, I think the Bears are going to be super fun to watch. One thing that interests me with Foreman that I wanted to look into is, you know, Bears pivoting towards more of a zone running scheme last year with Luke Getze coming on. And Foreman, like when you think of him, he's kind of that head of steam running back. So I was kind of curious to see where his numbers were. Um, you know, they don't run as zone heavy as often as you'll see. Like you see Miami is like up at like over a 75% zone run rate. Uh, Chicago is at 59% last year compared to 46% uh, for Carolina. So it's a difference. It's not a massive, massive difference. Foreman handled over 72% of his carries in 2021 with Tennessee were charted as zone runs by pro football focus. That's higher than he's going to have to do in Chicago. He was not quite as effective in Tennessee as he was in Carolina, but he was still fairly effective overall. 
And we saw like where Herbert was most efficient and where Foreman were both most efficient last year. We're running between the tackles, Foreman especially between the guards. I, I think you're going to see them play to play to both those running back strengths. And after looking into it, I, I think he's going to be a great fit. I, I think what's interesting too with the Bears, every running back rotation is different. Last year, they rotated running backs on a very agnostic basis. It was two drives for right. Montgomery, drive for Herbert. And depending on how well Herbert was playing, they might switch it to one-to-one later in the game. You know, people were saying these guys are kind of redundant. I think that's the point. I think they want to run the ball a lot and they want to be able to use a similar type of running back on each drive. And so, I don't know. I think we'll see how it works out. I could see a scenario where that flips from last year. It's Herbert gets two to Foreman's one. It wouldn't shock me if it's one-to-one. And it wouldn't shock me, you know, if they just let things play out early season and they start playing the better guy more. Like, I think it's, it's exciting when you get I think a backfield that's set up to be more of a meritocracy. Whereas last year, you know, you have David Montgomery coming in as an incumbent team captain. Like I think that the, the reality is like Herbert, I think it was impressive that he got as much as he got right. Versus David Montgomery would have had to massively fuck up to lose his role entirely to Khalil Herbert and, you know, say what you want about David Montgomery, but he doesn't usually massively fuck up. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this then Khalil Herbert or the two Oh five. I'll ask you both. I'll take the 205. I'm more into Herbert in best ball when I can just like, especially an underdog where it's half PPR. I don't have to predict when he scores the touchdowns. Like I, my fear with Herbert in a managed setting is that by week 10, I'm going to have some other handcuff on my bench. who catches more passes who projects better than Herbert on a weekly basis. And that Herbert's using up a lot of his value as like an early season placeholder. But in best ball, I'm, I'm all about that archetype. Grand yeah. dynasty. Yeah. 205 for me too. Um, and he's he's right there in that group. I mean, I'm going to be aggressive on him in best ball this year. Um, you know, I, I think there's certainly a risk where he's like you're saying he ends up being the one B some weeks. But I, I think he, if we're just going to give percentage chances on who ends up leading this backfield, you know, who has a higher probability of having 210 carries in this backfield this year, I'd probably say it's Herbert. Um, his, I mean, his efficiency numbers. You look. You look at their zone running stuff last year. I mean, his he was averaging nearly two yards per carry more than David Montgomery in zone on their zone looks. Um, I, I think Herbert is kind of like I think he's still super underrated. Um, there's definitely some NFL draft risk with him for sure, absolutely. But I, I kind of think they go into this 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 year with this cheap backfield. So fantastic. Let me ask you this then. Because there are two running backs being drafted immediately after Khalil Herbert, and it is David Montgomery right now, which we all agree that's going to change. And, and then James Conner. So then would you would you rather James Conner or Khalil Herbert? With what you know right now. Yeah. Khalil Herbert or James Conner. I've got it. I've got Herbert over Conner. Um, I, I think the Cardinals not only is like Conner on the edge of his you know aged uh, trajectory, like the Cardinals absolutely are drafting somebody like they cannot go into this year with Keontae Ingram and uh, Corey Clement. Like that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> they absolutely have to draft somebody. And I think, I, I think they're kind of one of those dumb organizations. Like you were saying, I, I, they're a dark horse yeah. for Bijan, but they're absolutely one of these dumb organizations that does draft Jameer Gibbs in the second on day two, you know, like, sure. Yeah. yeah I you're can totally ab- see it. Absolutely yeah, right. I then, just figured I'd and, and then they would be so dumb that they would draft Jameer Gibbs on in round two and then probably still, Play James yeah. Conner like seventy yeah. percent. Oh yeah, the not only play five. James yeah. Conner over him, but never throw to Gibbs because Kyler doesn't really check down that much either. So ball running, running right. quarterbacks, and well, I mean, he checks. Kyler down, he checks, checks down to James. He checks Conner down more than most. He checks down a lot more than like Hertz and Fields and Lamar. Yeah, like under, Chase Evans yeah. and James Conner. When they had that season, like when like like at first Conner didn't get any, but Chase Evans had pretty good pass. And then when Conner was like the full blown workhorse, he was just absorbing. Uh, dumb boss, but uh, I'm just, they might even I think that's more Kingsbury, Kingsbury running like five yeah. plays and they're all yeah, like Kingsbury. slanted hooks. Yeah, that's the, the other Kingsbury thing. For sure. Yeah, right. Love that. Okay, uh, we're Nicole gonna think- McCoy would get in there. The running backs would average 17 targets a game, so uh, I think that is a lot of Kingsbury for, for sure. That, that's a fair point. Um, I agree with Herbert over Connor. Connor is just at such steep risk of getting vaporized at any moment, like he's yep. just not. <laughs> Like the only reason why Connor has been great is because he's had these stretches where he has like 80 plus percent opportunity shares. I don't think he's deserving of those opportunity shares. He just continues to get them. Um, Like if he, if it looks like in August, he's going to keep getting them. I will, I will 
debase myself and draft more James Conner, but I don't know if March is the time. Sure. Okay. So I just figured I'd ask because they are going wire. like they're going Sorry, back keep, to back. So. Sorry, I know I keep stopping and then starting, but like James <laughs> Conner has never been expensive to acquire even when he is getting those opportunity shares because everybody feels right. like the Grim Reaper is the first face he sees when he wakes in the morning. So <laughs> I, I just, I don't think that you ever have to worry about Connor's price rising dramatically. Like I think if you want to sit and wait and then just buy James Connor when you feel more secure, like he's usually pretty acquirable. Yeah. Fantastic. We got a couple, uh, Toronto Dave is calling him the Foreman grill. We love that. Um, <laughs> Kevin asks, where do the bears fit on the bills? Eagle spectrum is the answer to which bears RB none. I think it's whatever's cheaper. And it said maybe the Ravens should be at the end of that spectrum, perhaps. And then he also states, isn't it the same dumb move the Chiefs and Bills have made in recent years? And yeah, it's both both of those moves has turned out to be really bad uh, with the James Cook and uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire drafting. We're going to take a quick break once again. And when we come back, we got some kind of cool stuff to talk about uh, in terms of giveaways. So sit tight. <laughs> Okay, Jacob, you launched thinking about thinking a phenomenal Substack Substack uh, fantasy football newsletter. We have three one-month subscriptions to give away. And between now and the next half hour when this show is over, uh, I'm going to be picking a, a bunch of people from the comments. If you have this only applies to people who have not subscribed already for some strange reason. Uh, if you do not have a subscription, Leave a comment down below that you do not have one and that it would make your day to have one. And I will pick up to three people and we will get you a one month subscription to thinking about thinking because we're dope like that. And Jacob's more than worth it. Also, if you've noticed on my hand, there's a championship ring. Now you see you get these when you do really cool things like winning a home league championship. Something Jacob doesn't know about, but I do. In 2019, I took home that bad boy. Jacob has been chasing ever since because he's always the bridesmaid and never the bride. But for those people who do win, if you go to trophysmack.com and use promo code FULLTILT, that's F-U-L-L-T-I-L-T, buy a championship belt, get a custom trophy, select a championship ring, you get that ring for free. That is a $60 value for free from us to you. Because we like winning, and you should too. Um, and with us, you can look dope as fuck while you do it. You should be wanting to do that. And remember, you can also, we've talked a lot about best ball. Well, guess what? You can go to Underdog Fantasy and go to promo code FU, use promo code F-U-L-L-T-I-L-T, and get your first deposit matched up to $100. Look, if you want to help support the show, going and subscribing to Underdog with our promo code and heading over to Trophy Smack when you pay stuff allows me to do really cool things like buy other stuff to give away. Like when we hit 500 subscribers on YouTube, we're giving away a custom Trophy Smack Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast Championship belt that we're covering the shipping costs for. So the more you guys subscribe and use our promo code, the better and cooler things we can do for you. Unfortunately, winning championships is not something anyone but Jacob can help himself with uh we've got some comments here uh down below um phenomenal also thank you jacob for allowing me to use you as cannon fodder we appreciate you not quitting um <laughs> which i would completely understand uh okay let's talk about miles sanders he obviously has the biggest contract um of the free agency period at the position of running back people love themselves some miles sanders you know he had a very Damian Harris-esque season, uh, if you would. He had 1,200 rushing yards, 11 total touchdowns, still only 12.7 points per game. He's obviously not on the Eagles. He's on Carolina, who has a history of passing to certain running backs, uh, and they're more than likely going to have a rookie quarterback, which is very friendly to pass-catching running backs. Gentlemen, Miles Sanders, buy now or let someone else fall in the landmine? Um, I'm probably not going to buy a ton of Miles Sanders. I'm again, I'm more open to this guy in best ball. I guess my issue with like from a dynasty running back standpoint, 
I don't love spending on the guys who I think if everything goes well, they're probably still an RB2 just because you can amass a bench of so many different guys who have that contingent upside where like most of the time in my dynasty leagues by week eight through week 12, like there's been enough craziness at the running back position that either through trade or through injury or through whatever, like I have, I have guys on my team that cost me almost nothing that I'm able to start weekly that are able to fill that RB2 slot at an opportunity cost of basically nothing. So a lot of times, whatever running back, you know, I was plant, that was my opening of the season RB2, like a Miles Sanders type becomes kind of a redundant asset because I'm able to start somebody else in there for a lot cheaper. So I don't love that. I think the issue with Sanders, like, uh, it's funny that Graham said point and shoot because that's the exact phrase that I used <laughs> to describe Miles Sanders in my article about him. Um, where he like, what he does really well is he has you know a lot of burst, and I think when you look at how he operated in the Eagles running scheme, where he's constantly working out his own read, he doesn't have to read a ton of the defense. Hurts is frankly the one doing most of the defensive reading, and he's just firing through gaps that are created by very capable offensive linemen. He's able to execute that very well think like in like real-time strategy games and stuff there's like stuff called, it's called like a win more strategy miles sanders feels yep. like a win more runner it's like once you've already won at the point of attack miles sanders helps you win more but i'm not sure that he actually is often the reason that you're winning at the point of attack um i think he's going to fit the scheme well we've already basically seen him in this scheme uh with deuce daly and with other members of the frank reich coaching scheme I just think we've seen Miles Sanders as a pass catcher and we wish that we didn't. And <laughs> I'm not sure that Miles Sanders is like reliable enough to ever be a constant goal line threat. Right. So I think that's the, it is the real life take too, but I get giving David Montgomery $6 million because it's like, now I don't actually have to have anybody else to do anything at my running back position. I don't super love giving Miles Sanders $6.25 million, even though I kind of like parts of Miles Sanders' game, just because I don't think, I think you still have holes in your backfield with him. So and I don't know that he like Shuba Hubbard has the same issues Miles Sanders has. So I don't really know if he has anything, but I still think that they can use a more reliable short yardage guy. And they really need a pass catcher because Miles Sanders was dead last in yards throughout run this year as a pass catcher. And he struggled with drops a lot. Yeah. I really hope Eric Gray finds his way onto Carolina. I mean, if I have hope for Eric Gray, it's going to be in, in Carolina where he has an opportunity to see the field. Graham, where do you, sit slime sanders in your dynasty ranks you said you've been updating some ranks uh where is he sitting right now yeah i i bumped him up but not too much and i think at this point looking at some recent trades and leagues and i'm in i think he's a good sell um a lot of the reasons why jacob outlined he's never going to be a big pass catcher i do think i do think deuce daly in this offense and frank reich is going to try to get him the ball a little bit more he only saw 26 targets last year he had a career high 63 uh, in 2019 as a rookie, I don't think he's going to get close to that. But I, I do think we could see him get a few more looks in this offense. But, yeah, let's face it. I mean, Frank Reich, what do we know about his his running game? He loves to run outside zone. And Miles Sanders was one of the better outside, run, outside zone running backs last year. I mean, if you just look at his off-tackle numbers, he was right up there with uh, Aaron Jones and all of our, our favorite efficiency, uh, running back efficiency guys at, at the top of the board there. I, I think Sanders is a good pick in – Best ball, I think he's a very solid pick if you're playing in like half point PPR seasonal leagues this year. But in Dynasty, I think I think we're going to be left wanting more for his ceiling. Like not only is he not a big pass catcher, like we need the two down banger types like him to score touchdowns. And like the Panthers are probably going to struggle to score touchdowns again in the red zone this year. But I think as a fit, like he makes a ton of sense in this offense. Would you be buying him for a mid to late second round rookie pick right now? or selling for that price mm. man i mean again it's, it's one of those things it's one of those things where like if, if you love your rb1 like let's say you've got a jonathan taylor or a mccaffrey and like your rb2 is garbage that's a pretty cheap acquisition cost for okay for a usable player but I, i've seen yeah. i've seen sanders start really getting up there in price here interesting yeah to me it's such a situation it's such a situationally based call like yeah so i, I think sanders fair. is a better sanders is like a better bet in the strict sense of like what's more likely to produce value for your team 
sense than a mid to late two rookie pick, right? Like your mid to late two rookie pick, more likely than not, probably not doing much of anything for you. I think the question really just becomes like, what is Sanders doing for you? Like Graham said, like if you have a team that's trying to compete, but you're also really thin at running back, like, you know, Miles Sanders is a guy who, even if I'm, even if the scenario I said plays out where he's not adding a ton of value late in the year, if he's able to just fill RB2 and if you don't have Sanders, you just have death at RB2, like that can help you get a buy, right? That can help you get a buy if he's just filling the slot for six to eight weeks. So I'm not opposed to it, but certainly if I have Miles Sanders and I have a solid running back core or, you know, I have, you know, I'm probably, he's definitely a guy I'm happy to move, but I probably, what I really want to do with Sanders if I have him is like use him to get other things done, right? Combine him with other stuff and then try to get a premium asset. Or if you think it's just easier to move that mid two, you know, that has more right. liquid value by all means liquidate Sanders into that. Nope. I think those are great questions. I'm just, I, I gotta, the, the most uh, common questions I find in dynasty when it comes to trades, it's always, what's the price you would pay for this middling RB2? What's the price for this middling RB2? One of the running backs I'm most excited to talk about before we're done with the running backs. We have two more that I really want to hit on um, before we have to get Jacob to his, uh, his smart person class. Uh, we're going to talk about coming right up. We're going to take another quick break. I know, but it helps me. So help me help you. Uh, we'll be right back uh, in a minute. Okay, so two backs that I really want to talk about. Jamal Williams in New Orleans is big to me. And why it is big to me, Jacob, all last year, and really for the last two years we've been saying, every running back not named Alvin Kamara that starts in that backfield is an RB1. Kamara, uh, not looking great on those TMZ tapes. Uh, you know, absolutely curb stomping a poor soul in a hallway. So we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, last year they rolled out, what is it, Tony Jones for like a hot week. He was popular. Then they let Latavius Murray go for some strange reason. Now they have a legitimate three-down back. Regardless of what you think of him, he can catch passes, he can pass block, and he can run between the tackles. What is this? Graham, I'll start with you. What is the actual upside, legitimate upside, that you think Jamal Williams holds for you right now. And I will say it bef before, what are you willing to acquire him for? Because to me, he is like number one priority bench asset for me. Yeah, yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think Kamara is super, super sketchy. Like not only um, not only do we have the potential suspension risk, he's 28. Um, I think we're seeing more and more 28, 29 is the age cliff for these backs. And, and Kamara's... Uh, kind of an interesting case in the fact that he started with um, obviously like a pretty uh, limited role with Mark Ingram. And he's probably going to end up in a very similar role here as this arc has, has turned out with Jamal Williams. I guess my one question with Williams, and this is the one thing I, I was thinking about today when I was updating my best ball ranks is like, okay, what is his actual TD ceiling here? Cause we know Taysom is going to get those um, annoying touchdown chances. And I know you, I see you roll. I see you gagging. I see you throwing up, but like, it's true. Like we always don't want this to happen, but like Taysom is absolutely going to get his six, seven, eight goal line carries, you know, is Kamara's role just going to go away at the goal line. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think Kamara's always been a pretty good red zone back, at least early in his career. Maybe he's waned a little bit um, as the years have gone on. Um, but I, I think for the games that Kamara misses, we know Jamal Williams can handle 18, 20 carries, and he's going to be a very serviceable RB2 in those games. Uh, my only question for him for at least this year is the TD ceiling and whether or not Taysom Hill is still heavily involved, and I think he will be. Taysom Hill is just Thanos. He's inevitable. Jacob, <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's say Kamara is actually gone for the season. Like, it's not out of the range of outcomes. It's possible that video is really 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 bad let's say just for i guess funsies would be like the wrong thing to say but let's just say for hope's purposes for backup running backs uh because you always need something a little bit sad for them to be relevant uh <laughs> what is the actual highest end upside you can see for a player like jamal williams in that situation realistically i mean this is the million dollar question isn't it and I honestly, yep. my answer is that I don't know. Like, 
I wrote a lot about the Lions' backfield last year and Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back because it was so constantly fluid. And what was very clear last year, and we got less of a sample of the proof of concept, but it was also clear previous year, was that his role operated almost entirely independently of DeAndre Swift. They did not view him as more than an early down banger. In the games that Swift missed, his average snap rate was 42.3%. On his season-long average, it was 41.4%. Uh, his yeah. season-long route rate was just 19%. And even when Swift was out of the games in three games, he had two catches on four targets for five <laughs> yards. So it just wasn't happening, right? If you look back to Green Bay, though, it's really interesting. Like, he was not that guy. He ran 41% of the team's routes in 2020 next to Aaron freaking Jones, right? He had yeah. totally serviceable yards per route run. Not great, but serviceable. He had 1.17 uh, in 2020. He had 1.25 in 2019. He's had stretches where he was actually able to get five, six targets a game, especially filling in for Aaron Jones. He had eight games in Green Bay of over an 80% snap share when other running backs were injured. And so I think that's the key is what is his contingent upside? What do they think he can do? Similarly, it's almost like a mirror effect. You look at the Saints. For all that time that Jamal Williams was a contingent upside king in Green Bay, the RB2 position in New Orleans was a goldmine, right? That was like the mm -hmm. era where if uh, Alvin Kamara went out, Latavius Murray just was Alvin Kamara and was also Latavius Murray. It was even better than Alvin Kamara himself. He was getting all of the touches, all the touchdowns, all the catches. And then this year, that wasn't really the case, right? Like they had the yeah. stretch where Kamara went out. Mark Ingram played a role. One of the games, it was Tony Jones playing the complimentary role. The other game, it was Latavius Murray off the off the practice squad. He was getting a lot of the pass routes. And then even Kamara himself was losing pass routes to freaking David Johnson and, uh, you know, Benjamin and Mark Ingram and whoever else. So I don't know if the Saints are the Saints anymore. I don't know if Jamal Williams is Jamal Williams anymore. If he's just going to be an early down hammer and he's going to keep that role all season, then I think he's pretty overrated because I think people are – People are acting like this guy's some magical touchdown score. I don't think he's a magical touchdown score. He got 28 carries inside the five last year. He converted 14 of them. 50%, right. that's good. It's not bad. But, like, the big signal is that he got 28 inside the five carries. That led the NFL by a lot. The Lions had more inside the five carries than any other team. I don't think that he's bad at it, but I just don't think it's, like, this is his trump card trait, that he's, like, the best one-yard line touchdown scoring player of all time like he's not equivalent to the hurt sneak right so i think i think he's uh if he's getting priced up a ton based on his contingent value which he's probably going to because people are going to be baking in that suspension risk i'm probably not going to have too much fomo sitting it out but i think if people look at what he did with the lions and they're underrating the possibility that he's used more in a full-on handcuff role that he had with Green Bay, then I'm interested. So I think it's one you want to watch and see what the Saints do in the draft. Like, are they going to add a capable pass catcher um, at any point in time or, or not? Like, is it just going to be Kamara, um, uh, Jamal Williams, and like Eno Benjamin on the roster? I don't know. Right. I think it's interesting. And also I'm looking at the Bulletproof, which if you're not in the Bulletproof Discord, you need to be. Um, but I'm looking at that ADP, and guys, we're letting, we're letting Ryan Tannehill go one pick before Jamal Williams at this point in Superflex, can we correct that you're all insane you're absolutely clinically insane for that if you're not trading uh jamal williams for ryan Tannehill in Superflex leagues what is wrong with you oh sidebar all right last player before we get out of here we referenced miles sanders having a damian harris-esque season let's talk about damian harris potentially having a Devin Singletary-esque season <laughs> in Buffalo. Buffalo absolutely hates their running backs. They treat their running backs like absolute dog water. Uh, they do not like them. They're constantly trying to replace each one with someone new all the time. But they get Damian Harris, who has been a very good running back two of the last three years when he's been able to qualify. So I would like to hear... Uh, your take here, Graham. What do you think? Is there an 800-yard, 11-touchdown season potential for Damian Harris, or is just is Josh Allen just going to say no way? Yeah, for for Dame to get to 11 touchdowns, Josh Allen would have to basically stop being Josh Allen near the goal line, uh, which is a gigantic cheat code. Um, yeah, uh, Bills backs are have been like 
just an absolute treasure of fool's gold. Um, for a couple of years, I bought into James Cook last year a little bit. Um, you know, the receiving role never really panned out because Josh Allen just scrambles after his second or third read. Look, I think Dame Harris makes a lot of sense in this offense and what he gives them. But once again, it comes back to will the Bills actually commit to having a decent ground game? Will they actually commit to a little bit of a scheme change? Because to me, when I watch Bills games, they don't really run for a rhyme or reason. They just run as like a changeup. Will they actually commit to it? And I, I think that's a legitimate question at this point. Um, all of that being said, I mean, for Dame Harris and fantasy, the only thing we really care about is whether or not he's going to be allowed to score touchdowns. And I think we have to to really consider the fact that, like, maybe he's capped at six, seven, eight touchdown upside with Josh Allen there. Interesting. Jacob? I mean, I could see him getting more touchdowns. I, I don't think that they – I don't know. I get the feeling that every year they're, like, kind of one foot in, one foot out with the Josh Allen rushing stuff where it's like – they want him to run the ball less, but then they don't actually do anything yeah. to yeah. help them have him run the ball less. And like now they kind of did. So maybe, maybe they use Harris more at the goal line, at least one thing we've seen with the bills for sure um, is that they actually do really calibrate their running back usage and their running game usage in general to like, whether they care about the game. Like it's like, you see it, it, you all, you can almost predict, especially during like the Singletary Zach Moss era where they felt Singletary was clearly their best back, but they yeah. didn't think he could handle a ton of work because he's a tiny little boy. And like they're playing against the Atlanta Falcons on a Thursday night. It's like Zach Moss here's sixty percent of the workload. And then you could you could you could usually predict like if it's a divisional game, if it's an interconference game versus the Chiefs, if it's whatever, like all of a sudden Singletary gets a ninety percent workload seemingly out of nowhere. And you know we saw them I think value Cook a little bit more independently, but I could see them. You know, we see it with Josh Allen, right? In the important games, he runs more. Sometimes they try to preserve him a little more. I could see Harris racking up a lot of fourth-quarter punch-ins in games that they're up by two touchdowns. I don't know. I, I like Damian Harris. I like him as a football player. I think he's the best running back that they've had on their team in the Josh Allen era, especially as a runner. Um, you know, I don't think this backfield's that hard to figure out from who's going to do what, right? It's like there's clearly things James Cook's better at. There's clearly things Damian Harris is better at. Common refrain, but I'm probably more interested in best ball where like, I don't know what's, what's right. Like neither of these guys to me have a ton of contingent upside in the sense that I don't think under any circumstances, James Cook is going to come out and handle 250 carries. Like I, I would be just so unlikely yeah. to me. Like, I think they will just find a guy. If Damien Harris gets hurt, like they'll just sign some dude off of waivers and he'll get some level of carries. Um, right. Similarly, they have Naeem Hines now too, so it's just like they could use him, right? They could use whatever. Similarly, like we've actually seen Devin Singletary have a full blown workhorse role in this offense, and it's like kind of has upside, but it's not that great. Uh, and Damian Harris doesn't really catch any passes, so I can't see a scenario where even if James Cook goes down, that Damian Harris is going to get all of the passing down work, or that, or if he does, then they just won't throw to running backs very much. So I don't think there's much contingent upside here. I think that there's a nice guaranteed role for each of these backs that's appealing in best ball. But for Dynasty, I don't know. I like it if you got Harris. If you bought Harris super cheap in the offseason and you don't have an obviously better option and now you get to stick him in as your RB2 to start the year and hope that he gets a touchdown every second week, there's worse things you could do. I love that approach. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to leverage some of these signings right now to get some decent return. And I'm, you can you can see that if you're just going and doing what you should be doing, which is checking in on ADP during the free agency period. You should be doing that and trying to make those flips. We're at about time, so we can get Jacob out of here. Graham, uh, if you could, final thoughts on the topics, the episode, or just whatever you would like and whatever you are doing, just final thoughts from today uh, for our loyal listeners that are still here, which, by the way, we love you all for. Yeah, really enjoy the time. Uh, we've we got to run it back at some point in the summer. Maybe we'll bring you guys back on one of uh, Scott and I. Scott and I'll bring you guys back on the show this summer. Um, yeah, I, I think right now this is, you know, one of the better times. Look, I don't really draft a lot of best ball teams uh, before the NFL draft. I got to say, this is probably one of the better 
opportunity just because this running back, the running backs are just wide open. Some of these, some of these early teams are going to look like super teams and you're going to have to luck box obviously into a couple of these late round running backs. Um, I think that that would be my, my big takeaway from this show today. Uh, but yeah, right now just working on best ball rankings. We're, we're getting our draft content up and out. Uh, I've got a bunch of really fun, cool data articles using some of our behind the scenes data that we're really excited about to launch this year. I got some articles, some videos coming out, really pumped about that. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just glad it's draft season guys. It's, it's almost the God, the Lord's game NFL draft prop season is right around yeah. the corner. So that's, uh, that's got me excited. Absolutely. Can't wait for that. Jacob, final thoughts, man. It's fun. Like I, I love it. This is tons of running back movement. Um, tons of fun stuff to talk about. I'm excited for the draft. I'm excited to grind, uh, more tape as we get into the draft, try to come up with some more comps and stuff. This is a really, really fun time to do any format. I have not gotten nearly enough into the best ball sweep. So maybe uh, talking about it and hearing Graham pump it up has is, is inspired me. So maybe I'll start doing some best ball drafts more this week. We love that. Jacob, can you answer this question real quick for Kevin? When you when you say more interested in best ball, is that made oh, on the sure. assumption of equivalent cost? What is the example of a player archetype that you value less than best ball? Really quick. Yeah, it really comes down to the standalone value versus the contingent upside. So I think you want a balance of both in any running back room, but in managed formats, I'm more focused on your contingent upside because I just need any one of the running backs on my bench to hit that at a given time, right? Either they wind up usurping their backfield, they get a lucky injury, whatever. And I just have to pick the one and start them. In best ball, you know, it matters a lot more what the floor is, even if the floor is eight points, right? And managed, if your floor is eight points, it doesn't really matter because you probably have somebody who's better for that. But that stable role, you know, those like, if you think the pass catching satellite backs, the early down only backs, those are the types of guys to me that are better in best ball, even if you're never particularly jazzed to start them in a managed league, because they're going to be able to provide those usable weeks all year long when your other guys just aren't getting it done or half your running backs are injured. I love when I ask you for a quick response and you give like a full breakdown. I thought that was pretty quick. That is your, I yeah, I was gonna I was just gonna minutes. say that is your your quick reply. Look, my final thoughts are always the same. This time of the year is so much fun to jump into your leagues, whether they've been active previously or they're just getting fired up now to check in on leagues that maybe you haven't checked in on in a while to see some nice surprises or really start looking at some moves that maybe you should have made a few weeks ago to get in the game. But look, we appreciate absolutely every single one of you here. We're climbing to that 500, and we would love to see you all there. When we get there, we can do the giveaways, all that. Of course, you can check me out tomorrow on Fantasy Points' new show. That's Fantasy Points' Best Ball Breakdown with myself, Scott Barrett, Chris Wecht, uh, bringing something a little bit different to the Fantasy Points YouTube channel. We love that. Also, I want to remind everyone, please check in on your loved ones. You never know that they might need it. Remember that clear eyes and full hearts can never lose in your best days. Well, goddamn, they're always been tilting. Good night, everybody. Great time. <laughs>